What's up, podcast listeners? This is a epic, epic episode because I got to interview my idol, Mike Boyle from Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning out in Boston. To put things in perspective, this is the guy that influenced my entire career. The way I train is because of this guy right here. He's an international speaker. His gym is one, you know, best gym in America. So many different times in this last 20 years. He's been the strength coach for the Boston Red Sox. Like, he's done so much, and he's been influencing the industry probably the longest out of anybody. And I finally got to speak with him on my podcast. And honestly, it was better than I could ever imagine. So without further ado, here we go. Here's Mike Boyle. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafael Matuszewski. And joining me today is a legend, Mike Boyle. Say hello. How are you? Thanks for having me. No problem. So I always like to start to show some easy questions. So the first easy question is, what's the current book you're reading? Current book I am reading is Range, actually. Okay. So I'm reading a couple at a time, but Range is the one I'm spending the most time on and trying to get finished. So I just started another one, and I can't think of the name of it, about the um, Jan and Terry Todd, who were original strength and conditioning people and another guy from University of Texas wrote a book about the like the sort of start of the profession so someone sent me a copy of that the other day and I kind of started that I'm a little bit of an ADD guy so I can have two or three or four or five or six books simultaneously with little bookmarks in them and but range is the one I'm going to finish range because I really liked um, the previous one sports sheen so I'm, uh, I'm probably halfway through range Okay, fair enough. How, how do you, like, manage to read so many books at the same time? Because I find, like, my thoughts are just everywhere if I try to read only two books at the same time. I do better that way. I've always been okay. that way. I have, um, I was talking to my son, showing him, I have a file called Articles to be Finished that might have 200 articles in it. Jeez. So I'm very much, like, I, I'm in and out of stuff. And yeah. I think that's why coaching works really well for me because it's a very – I feel like it's a busy, it's the perfect environment for people who've got a little ADD because there's lots going on. And so the, the overstimulation gives you a kind of sense of normalcy when there's a bunch of different athletes and a bunch of different people and all sorts of things kind of spinning around in your head. I feel very normal in that environment. Okay. So now I guess the next easy question would be like, do you watch any TV series? And if you do, do you watch like multiple at the same time? <laughs> Um, I do watch. I I actually I love Vikings on okay. History Channel. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. I really like Outlander, which is coming back. Nice. Very very soon. Um, I like Ray Donovan, which is uh, is an interesting TV show. And we've been watching Manifest lately, which my daughter recommended to us. Which actually was regular TV. I don't watch much regular TV. Yeah. But Manifest on regular TV, and we've actually kind of. Binged out on Amazon a little bit and watched like the first 16 episodes of Manifest. So I will sit down usually at night for an hour or two and watch TV. It is definitely for me a way to kind of relax and decompress. I think maybe growing up as a kid of the TV generation, I, I don't watch a lot of sports, which I think people would probably find interesting. Uh, unless like if somebody, if one of my guys is playing, 
yeah. I'll tend to flip it on. But other than that, like I won't sit and I watched the Red Sox for a while after I worked for them. I kept watching games and then I don't really do that anymore. And I'll occasionally flip the Bruins game on in the third period to see the end, but I won't usually sit and watch a whole game. Okay. So what's your opinion about like other coaches that give out business advice and they always say, if you're watching like more than an hour of Netflix a night, you're wasting your time. You could be doing X, Y, and Z for your business and so forth. Um, I think most people, I think most people that are giving business advice don't actually have a business. So I think in general, <laughs> that they're bullshit. Yeah. Um, I wrote an article that I updated called maintaining credibility in the internet era. And uh, I initially had written it when it was more about internet marketing, maybe 10 years ago. But now it's a little bit more about like the Instagram and business and success coaching. And the, the basic gist of the article is don't take advice from somebody who isn't doing what they say you're doing. You know, if someone is making money off telling you how to make money, don't listen to them. Yeah. I want advice from someone who is actually successful. And we can, it's amazing how people can feign success. And I always think when you see sort of these people who, when the videos are always shot in the same place and always have the same people in them, are always of them mm -hmm. doing everything, and you never see any real clients. These are all things that should be red flags for people to look at and think, wait a second. I mean, I used to, people years ago, and I won't say who, but they were coaches who'd always talk about, well, I, I have famous clients and I can't video them. Yeah. And I used to believe that. But then when I had famous clients, none of them ever minded being video. I've never had one famous client ever say to me, you can't, they, actually I have had one. Jennifer Garner, when she was in Boston said, please don't tell anybody I'm here. Yeah. When I trained, I trained for a couple of months one summer. But she was the only famous client I ever had who had any sort of privacy concern. So I think, I basically think most people are full of shit and <laughs> very few people actually do, which is a perfect for your podcast right here. Yeah. The uh, cut, we're through the shit podcast. <laughs> but it's, uh, there are a lot of people telling us how to do things who I think their whole industry is based on people how to do things and I don't think they've ever actually done them. Yeah. And it's interesting when you have like people that add you on Facebook and you right away read their tagline of like, I help personal trainers like ten times their business in three months and they're like twenty two, twenty three years old. Yeah. Well and it's just like I said, there's there's a huge there's so much of that and there's really a small handful of people who've actually done these things and then I, people just need to be better I always talk you need to be a better filter mm -hmm. you need to be able to look at stuff and think wait a second is this person actually doing what they say they can do because if you bullshit long enough the bullshit becomes real yeah and that's I've seen that happen I could name names right now of people who you know all of a sudden at some point you keep shouting from the rooftops loud enough that you're an expert at something other people start to echo that sentiment and say, oh, oh, Mike, yeah, he's the expert on functional training. You should go listen to Mike. And if I just kept saying, yeah, that's me, I'm the guy, I'm the expert on functional training, listen to me, it, it becomes like an echo chamber, and the echo chamber uh, does what it's supposed to do. And, and that drives business for people. But you look at some of these people, you really need to say, okay, what is this person's background, and have they done anything that merits them giving advice to anybody else. 
Like, I guess another good question, too, is for you is, like, you've been in this industry for so long, and, like, you've probably been the most humble person I've ever seen, like, online and represent their career that way. But then a lot of younger coaches right away out of the gates with social media, they're like, I'm the expert at this, I'm the best at this, and they have this, like, huge ego. So what kind of advice would you give for, like, new coaches going into the industry to kind of, you know, stay level-headed and kind of go in the right direction? Well, my advice would be do something first. Mm-hmm. I think you should have a career first before you start advising other people on theirs. <laughs> Which, yeah. again, some people go right into the idea, you know, I'm going to be like, I love something, I'm going to be a life coach. <laughs> yeah. Like, how much life have you had? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, have you, have you gone through a lot of, you know, heartache? Have you yeah. done any of these things? And so I think that would be the biggest thing. Get, you know, if you're going to be a personal trainer or a strength and conditioning coach or anybody in the fitness field, get out and work with people. Yeah. Do it. And then when you start, I remember years ago, uh, Martin Rooney did a talk, which I really liked. And basically, he said something to the gist of train people initially and then write down a lot of things. Write down what you're thinking, but don't share it with anybody. Just keep writing things down, make notes. And then eventually, after whatever, 10 years of this, you can start to share some of that stuff with people and say, hey, here's what I learned during this 10-year period. Here's what I thought, because I always talk to people about Dunning-Kruger effect. You know, Dunning-Kruger effect basically is the the effect that young people are very firm in their belief that they know everything. They've done research, Dunning and Kruger were two researchers at Michigan, and they did research on this, and they found that the people that were most sure of themselves tended to be the people with the least experience. And I always laugh, you know, because people will say, oh, yeah, you know, in my two years in the industry, I've learned this. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> two whole years, you know, how many people did you train? You know, it must have been in the tens, you know, maybe 20. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, and I look at someone like me and think, I'm literally, like I said, I'm in the thousands. I've watched, the one time I sat and thought, okay, how many squats have I watched? I was like, probably a million. You know, people say, oh, you don't like the squat. Well, I've grown to not like it over time, but I watched like a million squats. Like I sat on my ass and watched hundreds of football players squat. And eventually over time, I got to the point where I said, you know, not a lot of people do this very well. And a decent number of them get hurt trying. That makes it not my favorite thing to do. But, you know, people think that these are knee-jerk reactions. Like one day I just woke up and decided, oh, I'm going to be the anti-squat guy. And it's like, no, you're talking about like 30 years of evolution of trying to figure out. I always say that trying to figure out the best way. I'm one of the, I'm like the holy grail guy in terms of I'm trying to figure out the best way to do everything. Yeah. And I'm, I'm legit almost 40 years in. This is my 39th year wow. actually coaching people. Jeez. Which I've been, I've been coaching much longer than most people in this field have been alive. I've actually been, I I got right out of college and I started coaching. I got a job, you know, didn't didn't get a job. I actually, I, I, I picked up an avocation because a job you get paid, I wasn't getting paid, but I was coaching college athletes. I was 21 years old, I think. I might've just turned 22 maybe, but I was probably 21 and coach at the college level and working with really, I mean, Really, really good athletes. They ended up like my first, it's crazy. My first job 
was the basketball team at Boston University. And when I initially started, Rick Pitino was the basketball coach. But I never actually got to work for him because he left very quickly after. And uh, But like Brett Brown, the 76ers coach, was our point guard. We had this other, Sean Teague was our off guard, who is George Teague's father. There's two Teagues that play in the NBA now, but they're Sean's kids. And uh, we had another kid named Gary Plummer who ended up going and playing in the NBA for a while. Like, and I wasn't really a basketball guy, but my father was a basketball coach. And you know what I mean? And it's like, and you know, I was working with guys from the 80 Olympic team. Dave Silk, you know, was in the weight room at that time, who, you know, is a, a big uh, Boston University alum. So that was 21, 22 years old. Yeah. Jeez. Actually, what's interesting is, like, the fact that you brought up the whole squat thing. Like, I remember, I think this was, like, a year ago, I made some comment on Facebook about how majority of the general population that back squats, just it just looks terrible, and we just have to figure out a different way for, to get the job done. And I've never had so many people comment on one of my posts to tell me how wrong I was. I was like, damn, like, it was just my opinion. Like, it's just from what I've seen at the gym that I work at. But it's so funny how so many people just, like, jump on those things to just add their two cents and, like, try to prove that you're wrong. And I'm like, guys, come on. Like, we're supposed to be in this together as a team and not bickering at each other. Well, I have one of the slides in my presentation that says, you're killing my sacred cow. And, you know, that's how it is for people. When you start saying squatting is not good, yeah, it brings up the whole, like, everybody who's ever, you know, put on a skull cap and hoodie and, you know, <laughs> crawled into the gym to do some squatting comes out of the woodwork to tell you what a loser you are. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you can't teach and you're a terrible coach. And, I mean, people are saying to me, how can you do it? And I'm like, man, I can do it because I don't really care. I could yeah. care less what some meathead in, you know, South Dakota thinks about what I think. The good thing for me is although we're very international, our business is like in Woburn, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, the people that we're training live within one hour of Woburn, Massachusetts. And so other than that, like I could care less what anybody really thinks. I'm trying to, like, as you said, I'm just, you know, you're observing, I'm looking and thinking, wow, this and I said this on Twitter the other day, you know, what percentage of people do you look at that are that you'd say are good at the squat? Like right away, somebody squats and you think, wow, that's a really good squat. Yeah. If you're looking at males, male, it's under 10%. Where you look and think right off the bat, man, you just nailed that. That was perfect. I love it. But it's like those 10% people tend to be the ones who are screaming about everybody else. Like I'm a really good squatter. I was a competitive power lifter. I'm a very good squatter. I squat naturally. It is easy for me. But I'm five foot nine. I have very sort of normal dimensions. You know what I mean? Like my spine and my femur and everything. Like it's just I have the right dimensions to do it. There aren't that many people. And generally, the better an athlete you are, like the bigger, taller you are, the worse it is. Mm -hmm. I started to, okay, we've got this kind of inequality, meaning like my football linemen, my basketball guys, there are all these people that I train who aren't good at this. And I almost kind of look at it thinking, I don't know if I could ever make them really good at it. And then I start thinking, do I really need to make them? Like, is it is this so essential? And obviously, in my case, I've come to the conclusion that it's not. But again, this will draw criticism on this podcast. But we do. <laughs> But yeah, like, I always use the analogy, like, you're putting a square peg in a round hole constantly, constantly, and then eventually you go, why does my low back hurt every time I squat? And it's, like, a simple change, putting the client into a split squat 
they're like, oh my god, I felt my ass for the first time ever. It's like, well, who would have thought? Like, come on. <laughs> well, not only are we putting a square peg in it, we're pounding. That's yeah. what I would say. Pounding a square peg into a round hole. You're like, you look at it, think it doesn't fit, and your first reaction is get a hammer. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because if I beat this thing hard enough, I can get it into that spot. And you're like, how about if we just took a second? You know, it's like when they teach you little kids, you know, working with shapes. Okay, that shape doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Little kids intuitively will start to think, okay, I need to go find another shape and try to fit it into that spot. The Dunning-Kruger strength and conditioning person is like, oh, no. I'm just going to keep freaking jamming this thing in there, and it doesn't matter how much stuff gets broken. Uh, it has to go like this one has to go in that spot. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I would say the good thing, good for us, good for me, because there's lots of people out there that don't get it, and that means that those of us that do continue to stay ahead of the game, so that's okay. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up, because we got a question through Instagram, and since we're kind of chatting about the general population, what's your thoughts on, like, metabolic conditioning for the general population? I don't even know what metabolic conditioning actually is. Is it like prostate shit? You know what I mean, like, what is metabolic yeah. conditioning? This is the one thing I love. Like, people make stuff up. So, if metabolic conditioning is like stupid circuits, then I'm not a fan. Okay. So, I don't really like if you're saying metabolic conditioning, to me, metabolic conditioning is, you know, get on the assault bike. Okay, that's metabolic conditioning. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I'm not a fan of. The idea of using weights to try to get in condition is like, you know, someone looking at me and saying, I'm having really limited success sawing this piece of wood with a hammer. And I'm like, yeah, because like a saw is for sawing, it'll cut the wood. A hammer is for banging things in, and that's what it's good at. Like, weights aren't good for conditioning. So I don't, like, I'm not a metabolic conditioning fan. And I always say, my, my expression is always, you said, you know, we can swear on your podcast, but shit plus shit equals more shit. You know, when you take someone like, hey, you're not a very good squatter, and you're not very good at kettlebell swings, so let's uh, let's pair up squats and kettlebell swings and get you really awkward. You can do two things really shitty one right after another. And you're kind of like, it doesn't make any sense. I'd rather do my strength training well, and then if we're going to do metabolic conditioning with a general public person, I'll throw you on the assault bike, because on the assault bike, we can beat you up pretty good, mm-hmm. and nothing bad happens, except you don't feel good. But there's there's almost no kind of physical, biomechanical downside to working really hard and physical training on a stationary bike. So what would be like your opinion for those gyms that have like classes where they have, you know, on some days it's a strength day where they actually follow a program and then the other days they do metabolic conditioning. Like what kind of advice would you give them if they're kind of used to using every single piece of equipment in the gym in a circuit style like what would be your changes to kind of i don't that would be my advice don't okay. do that <laughs> easy enough we have, we have a really successful adult business we don't do that yeah we just train people right all the time mm-hmm. and you train right Monday, wednesday friday and you train right tuesday thursday saturday and if you want to come every day that's kind of a problem because that doesn't work all that well and so we try to avoid that. And the truth is we do. We have one group of women that loves to work out every day. And we do some 
metabolic conditioning with that group. And I don't really like it, to be honest, but mm. I haven't put my foot down and said, no, we can't do it. But at the same time, I don't like it. I don't think it's good for people. I just, like I said, it just, it's like, uh, you know, another analogy, like it's like shit soup. You know what I mean? If you just yeah. throw a bunch of stuff in it and mix it up, it generally doesn't taste very good. Yeah. So it's, I'm just not a fan. And I think, I think people try to develop, well, let's have, let's, Let's develop some sort of offering for people, and and like I said, the metabolic condition became popular. And it, I just I've never liked it. We've never done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like if we do circuit stuff, we tend to do it with people that are really good athletes and good lifters. Where I can look at this and think, okay, I'm comfortable that this circuit is going to look like what I want it to look like, and that fatigue is not going to cause a deterioration that's going to make me not like it and i think it's hard also with the general population because they're so like conditioned to see marketing from like orange theory or like f45 like people doing ropes and swings for time and they're super tired and they're like oh that's what i need right and but that was crossfit 10 years ago yeah i think there'll always be something you know the one thing i always say Someone will always cater to the lowest common denominator, but it doesn't have to be you. And so that's my whole thing is that, yeah, there's a certain percentage of people that that stuff is going to sell for. And I talk to people all the time who say, how do I compete with that? I'm like, you compete with that by keeping people healthy and doing a really good job. We're being very, very successful doing that and competing with those types of places. We're not losing people to orange theory we're not losing we don't even have i think f45 there's a couple of these other ones they're not even in our area orange theory is the only one that's in our area yeah and really lose people to those and they generally will be they're like made for you they're made for young healthy people who you know kind of want to get sweaty but that's not a huge demographic really it's kind of like with crossfit you know i remember someone said like you know crossfit is like made for you know it's to select the world's fittest rich person you know it's like (laughs) and you know it it was like a very like waspy kind of uh fitness trend you know and it's like great like you know there are going to be people that that want that and i had lots of my athletes former college athletes who loved crossfit because they learned to squat and they learned to olympic lift they learned to do all that stuff when they were with me in college and then when they get out they were like oh i kick ass at crossfit you know i'm great at it because i can clean and i can push jerk and i can squat and I'm better than everybody. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, at some point that's going to bite you in the ass and your 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 back's going to get sore, your shoulder's going to get sore, or something bad's going to happen. And we've seen that. It was, I can remember Dan John years ago saying CrossFit will be like Nautilus. It will be like Curves. It will be a fad, and we'll see it rise You know, to the point where people think, oh, my God, it's going to take over the world, and then it'll drop off again. And that's exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll see that. You know, it's like you don't want to be the second person to only Orange Theory franchise. Yeah. You want to be the person who sells it to the second person. Because, and Dan made it perfectly. Like he was, it's so funny. I love Dan. He's a really smart guy. But he said one day, you know, every city had a Nautilus place. And I'm like, yeah, I belong to the Nautilus. Like, I went to a I, I literally had a regular gym membership and a Nautilus membership. Wow. Because at that time, Nautilus had bullshitted us into believing that, like, Using the machines to isolate muscles was better, and one set to momentary muscular failure was better. And so we'd go and do like Nautilus workouts the day after we did our regular lifting workout. We were stupid; we didn't know any better. And and there's always somebody 
trying to have that next trend that they can franchise, that they can sell, that they can make a lot of money off of. And you talk about like me, like being around for a long time. I can't tell you the number of times people have come to me and said, oh, we can make a lot of money doing this. And my response always jokingly is, okay, who do we have to screw? <laughs> you know, whenever anybody comes in, oh, we can make a lot of money off this. And I'm like, well, somebody's going to get screwed. If we're going to make a lot of money, somebody's going to lose. Like, who are we taking this money from? And people wanted to franchise Mike World Strength Edition very, very early on with us, probably 20 years ago. And I met with these guys, and uh, and they they flat out said, "Here's what we got to do. You know, we basically got to raise the price and lower the quality. They like you've got an unbelievably good product, but it costs too much to produce." And you know we can't produce it. You know we need to be able to do it with less coaching intensiveness, because that you know the the cost of help is too high. So what we really need is something that's going to be we, we can charge more money for and it's less and it's cheaper to deliver. I was like, yeah, I don't think I want to do that. So he never went anywhere. And these guys were franchise guys. They I think their last franchise was like lighting stores or something, but. They were just looking for the next good franchise idea, and some people get sucked into that. Think you know something? I'm going to make. This is my you know this is my IPO. This is my chance to make huge money, but there's no kind of ethical moral stance to that, and I think there should be. I think you should be looking at this and thinking that fitness. Fitness is uh, is about improving the quality of people's life in my. Yeah. And that's the way we try to operate. Would you ever consider opening a second location, kind of like how Eric Cressy has his Florida location? Yeah, we have two locations, but they're close to each other okay. here. And and I would consider a third, maybe, if it was in the right spot. If, and if it was, I hate to say it, if it was easy to do, if it was in the right spot, I'd mm -hmm. consider it. But I don't really love the idea. But I'm trying to figure out, because now, like I said, I'm 60. I'm trying to figure out, all right, what's the future of Mike Boyle strength and conditioning? What happens next? Yeah. Because that's re you know, kind of, okay, how do we unwind this thing or how do we pass it on to the next generation? What happens next? And so if we could get one in the western suburbs of Boston where it was like kind of a layup, somebody said, okay, we'll give you a really good deal on the real estate and it's in the right place and all that stuff, I might do it. Okay, fair enough. Um, I kind of wanted to go back to like all the CrossFit comments because like recently, well, last year I started working at a chiropractic clinic and we have a huge like patient load of CrossFitters and one, they're all super broken. But what's interesting is like they're so bought into whatever we tell them to start doing to start moving and feeling better. And like the one thing that I've noticed was like, you know, they don't do any single leg work other than those pistol squats where they like bounce up from the bottom and they have terrible like single leg stability, like just terrible, like can't even do a body weight single leg deadlift. And that's like what I start with them. And when they actually complete like a eight week phase, for example, of just switching to single leg, they're like low backs feel better. Their hips don't click and pinch. And I'm like, God, you guys need to just add the single leg work into your wads or whatever the hell they're called. But, yeah, I mean, that's the normal. I always say the one good thing, the one thing CrossFit was really good for, in my mind, customer creation. Yeah. Because CrossFit did a great job, customer creation for people like me, because people find 
that hey, I liked the group exercise thing. I liked working out with other people of a similar age and a similar ability. I don't like getting hurt. So I feel like our adult business grew right along with CrossFit because I said, you know, I said we're the CrossFit refugees, <laughs> the people who realized, okay, I tried it and it didn't really work for me, whether it was because like, you know, I didn't want to wear the high socks or because I, you know, I, I didn't fit into the community, whatever it was, but somehow our business was growing right along with that. So it was really, really good. And it was great for physical therapy. I once joked, and I always get myself in trouble with the CrossFit stuff, but <laughs> my one joke, eventually CrossFit will be located in the hospital. <laughs> so, you know, they'll have like like the big hospital every year in Langley, British Columbia, right? You know, the big, you know, Vancouver hospital will have like yeah. Vancouver CrossFit. It'll be attached so that people can get hurt and then just walk next door. We can like, okay, I'm, can I get x-rays and physical therapy and all this stuff? And it'll be like a perfect synergy for the hospitals because we like, okay, we've got injury creation over here and we've got injury management over here and they're right next to each other because that's what it ends up being. I mean, it's, it's not sustainable. And, and I think showing us that it's not sustainable in the sense that it's, it's declining again because as you said, you, your physical therapy clinic is filled with this. And for the longest time, they just kept denying, well, no one's getting hurt. And you're like, yes, people are getting hurt. Like, we, you know, we've got lots of people who say they got hurt doing it. And you can't do, like, you can't do, like, gymnastics and Olympic lifting and tumbling with adults yeah. and expect them not hurt. They're not children. Children are great in the sense that they're very, very resilient. <laughs> adults, not so much. You know, you get a little bit older. I always said my, my analogy is always kind of, you know, you have this progression in life from filet mignon to beef jerky. You know, you start out when you're kind of in your, you know, your late teens and early 20s as filet mignon, you know, perfect tissue quality. And you never, you know, you one day you soar, the next day you feel great again. And then by the time you're in your like 40s, 50s, you like beef jerky, you're all kind of dried out and crusty and, you know, shit doesn't work anymore. And you suddenly have a list of five or six exercises you can do that don't hurt. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> like, like, I can do it, I what I can't do. And I never try to do what I can't do. And as a result, people would look at me and think, oh, you're really healthy. I'm like, yeah, I'm not that healthy. I'm just really smart. I know what I can do and what I can't. I don't try to do things that I can't do. Yeah, and like working with the general population, especially in their 40s when they come into the clinic injured, and then I have to take them to the gym to give them like different exercises. And like a prime example is like, Every dude wants to press overhead as heavy as possible for some reason, but their shoulders are terrible. And then it's like, okay, let's find like, you know, a 50-50 matchup and you show them the landmine and they're like, oh, actually, this is not too bad. And it's just like finding small tweaks like that where they can continue training pain-free. It makes a world of difference compared to like, I'm going to continue pressing overhead even though I can't reach my arms over my head. Right. I mean, and that's... but. You know, I always said that's so much of what we've been doing for whatever the last 20 years yeah. is figuring out, okay, how do, we, how do we get, because people want to exercise. They want to be healthy. They, what I is they want to feel better. I think people want to feel better more than they want to look better. Yeah. I think the initial sort of youthful, single, you know, look good naked kind of thing is really great in your 20s. And then you kind of get into your 30s and you think like, hey, you know, I could be, I could settle for a little dad bod here as long as I can get out of bed and not be in pain and go to work and, you know, be able to like, I mean, I get to a point, it's funny. So my son is 15. So 
10 years ago, I was 50. You know, when he started, first started learning to play catch, I was like, I just want to be able to throw. Yeah. And at one point, my shoulders were so screwed up that I, I bought a lefty glove and taught myself to throw lefty. Because I could not throw a righty at all with the way my shoulders were. And that was, you know, years of stupidity. Mm-hmm. And I also think the, the big advantage I have over a lot of other people in the field is that I'm old. And I've done everything wrong. Like, everything that I talk about, it's very rare that I dislike something that I have not tried and probably done to somebody else, which is terrible to say. But, I mean, we did all these things. You know, people look at what we think of push-ups. I'm not a fan. Tried them. We know that football guys. And eventually we had guys, you know, tried them. And then it was like, okay, we need to get wrist wraps because guys' wrists get a little beat up because of the amount of weight. Mm-hmm. And then eventually the wrist wraps weren't working anymore. And guys just had to stop doing them. Then we start thinking, you know, it's just probably not a really great idea to try to put as much weight up over your head as you possibly can in the jerk. It's, and then you start thinking, when do I ever actually have to lift as much weight as I possibly can over my head? And you come up with the answer of if I'm not an Olympic weightlifter, zero times. Yeah. Like there's no, there is no sport that involves getting heavy loads over your head. <laughs> when you start looking at that and thinking, hmm, I know that was, you know, again, another thing, well, it's a great exercise, great for power. Like, okay, I get it. But, like, if I'm just past a medicine ball, that's a lot more sport-specific, if we want to use the word sport-specific, mm-hmm. than a jerk would be. Because now that, you know, are there sports where I push at people with my hands in that sort of horizontal? Oh, yeah, a lot of those. But there's very, very few, like, you think literally, like, you know, maybe, like, cheerleading, you're going to have to hold somebody up over your head. But there just aren't a lot of things we have to hold things over your head. It's like people, you know, handstand push-ups. I'm like, why would you do handstand push-ups? Never happened. Right? Like, it's another one of those kind of show-off-y things that people mm-hmm. like to show you do. And it's sort of like, okay, great. I'm really thrilled that you can do that. But it's pretty irrelevant. Yeah. Now, push-ups on the ground, it's like, okay, yeah, that's great. If you can do a bunch of push-ups on the ground with your feet elevated or the weight vest on, great. But the handstand ones are just, like, silly circus stuff. Well, even, like, when I took my FRC certification and uh, Spino's talking about the handstand push-up, he's like, I have no idea why people keep doing these. For the first, like, months of, like, all the CrossFitters posting it on Instagram – most of the people don't even have the wrist extension to get there, so now you're jamming your entire body weight into them. And he's like, no wonder people's wrists are shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. And their wrists are shit and back is shit, because you look at most of them and they're, you know, they're in a really hard, you know, now it's a lumbar arch that's loaded, yeah. you know, with your whole lower body weight and your wrist. And then shoulders, I always, I call it the airport screening test. I said, go to the airport and watch in the screening and count the number of people that can get their hands over their head. Yeah, I will guarantee you, you will count zero during no matter how long you stand in line, you will not see one person who like easily gets their hands up over their head. It's, you know, nice sampling of sort of whatever America, Canada, wherever you happen to be, and you look and think, okay, the vast majority of people cannot get their hands over their head. So overhead stuff tends to not be good. Overhead stuff like we we do overhead press kettlebells. Bottoms up kettlebells, things like that. Sometimes, you know, dumbbell press. Never bilateral, never a bar. Because it's fairly easy for people to move their shoulders one arm at a time over their head. 
you know, their hands over their head. But uh, it's much more difficult, too. And it's significantly, I don't like any lifts with a bar, really. The only thing we still do with a bar, we hand clean, we bench press. Other than that, we don't use bars a whole lot because they dictate range of motion in a way that's generally not beneficial. When your hands can't move, then the bar is telling your shoulder where it has to go, which is generally not a really good thing. So, you know, we will tend to to like exercises more that will allow somebody's kind of spiral, the spiral diagonal nature of your shoulder to, to play. So, yeah, you, you do a lot of hang cleans. And one of the questions I've always wanted to ask you is, like, when you teach it to anyone like the one thing i've noticed a lot of people pick up is this habit of like kicking their heels back and then planting their floor uh, their feet on the floor and i was wondering like are you okay with that or do you try to coach against that i'm okay with it in the sense that i don't really care what we're trying like when we're hand cleaning we're trying to work on power output you know mm-hmm. can you get can you move a load from point a somewhere above your knee to point b up at your shoulders can you produce the neural force that it takes to move that load if you can do that i'm not super concerned about like whether you stomp your feet or whether you your heels come up or whether and and i, I wrote an article a lot i think i called it foot stops donkey kicks and something else i forget the name of the article but you know because people are always oh, they, they're donkey kicking they're stomping their feet and i'm like whatever like we don't teach them to stomp their feet we don't teach them to kick their heels up. That's what they do mm-hmm. when they produce power. It would be one thing if I watched somebody like like there was a picture of one of my a young woman who is a great athlete. She's 15 years old. She was literally in like mid air with her heels kind of up towards her butt because I had I had still shot it. I had screenshotted a picture of the kid next to her, and and in this one, and I'm like, hey, when you watch her skate, she's a great skater. When you watch her run, she's a great runner. These things are not negatively impacting her ability to move. So I don't worry about it. I think, again, if I was an, and I say people, if I was an Olympic lifting coach, I would be much more concerned about Olympic lifting because my goal would be to get my client or my athlete to Olympic lift, to, you know, to get it to use as much weight as they possibly could in those exercises. That's not really my goal. My goal is to use those lifts to develop the neural abilities that I need to produce force, to produce ground reaction force so that I get a higher vertical jump, so that I get a better 10-yard dash. If I'm getting those things, then I'm not going to worry about kind of the minutia of, mm-hmm. you know, do they, do they stomp their feet, do they kick their heels, whatever. Oh, the other one, I'll put it, it was called foot stomps, donkey kicks, and triple extension because those are the things that people are always in our things to. It's amazing. Everybody who thinks they know something about Olympic lift loves to kick our Olympic lift videos. Loves it. Because yeah. it makes them feel really smart. It's like it's funny, and I always end up doing it. They say, there's no triple extension in that lift. And then I always go back and I post the still shot of the triple extension. And I'm like, yes, our athletes are really fast. They get triple extension. Here's the picture. Look at it. And then I'll post another video, and someone will come back a month later. There's no triple extension, and I'll post the screenshot again of the same or another picture. Okay, here's the screenshot. Here's the triple extension. You're wrong. You don't know what you're looking at. So stop, you know, stop trying to be like the genius troll. Yeah. And just, you know, or the genius troll, actually look. And, and realize, if you say there's no triple extension, make sure you're right, as opposed to just looking at the video and saying, I don't see it. And sometimes people, because... 
Because we're not teaching, we're teaching fast, 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 fast. We're not teaching slow. And so they miss it. They literally miss it every time. And it's always there. Because I always still show them. <laughs> so that, that being said, like, now I'm kind of curious, like, you've been in this industry for so long. What are, like, one or two questions that you always get from people at, like, conferences online? And what's one question you wish people did ask you that you haven't been asked yet? Well, I think the, the one question we always get over and over again is the squat. Why mm-hmm. Why don't you like the back squat? That's the, the constant because everybody's been, you know, the, the whole all the folklore, you know, the king of all lifts kind of thing. And so people just can't believe, like, you, like you can't be a real strength coach and not like squatting. So I think that's the other question I get asked a lot is, I thought you'd be bigger. <laughs> it's amazing. People will meet me, and there's almost this look of disappointment. Wow, I thought, I thought you'd be bigger. I thought you'd be much more physically impressive. <laughs> but one question I guess I wish people would ask is, why do you think the way that you do? Because... I would like I like to look at successful people and think, okay, wait a second. If this person is successful and I don't agree with them, why do they think the way that they do? I, I need to know that part because obviously we're having success. We've got one of the first for profit strength and conditioning businesses in the world, right? We're almost we're over twenty years old. We've been profitable for every single year that we've been in business. We're international in terms of we're doing certifications literally all over the world. I've got books in, I'm probably up to 15 languages now that these books have been translated into. So somebody does think I know what I'm doing. And so if you're that person who doesn't, I guess that's the question I want people to ask. Like, okay, why, what's not, like for them, well, what's not adding up for me? Why do I think you're an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I think a lot of times, too, is like there's some coaches out there that just don't want to put the effort in to like think outside the box because they're just so much more comfortable doing the same thing over and over again. But then I look at them and I'm like, I would get so bored out of my mind staying the same way that I was like six years ago. And you're kind of doing your clients a disservice where you're like literally doing the same program with every single person that you did six years ago. I said that's another, like I have a slide that says, hey, if you're doing the same thing you were doing 10 years ago, either you were really good 10 years ago or you suck now. And <laughs> yeah. it's it's a, it's a straight up either or thing in terms of, and I look and think that, wow, our programming hasn't changed that much. And then last year I rewrote my, uh, I rewrote functional training for sports as new functional training for sports. And I did it. So, um, Oh my God, I can't think of Ted's last name right now. Ted Miller, who's an editor for Human Kinetics. I met him at a conference and he said, I really think you should rewrite that book. And I was like, Ted, the book's fine. And he was very polite. He said, I'd like you to reread the book. And then if you tell me that you think it's fine, I won't bother you again. And back and reread it, because of course, who rereads their books, right? (laughs) Certainly not me. I reread my 2004 version of Functional Training for Sports. And I realize, oh my God, this book sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
And I went back to Ted and I said, you know, Ted, I don't really want to rewrite this book, but you're right. It needs to be rewritten. And that's when you start thinking, I mean, like in 2004, I basically, we didn't foam roll at all. And I said, don't stretch. Stretching is bad. You should just do dynamic warm up. And now I look at, wow, I don't, I don't agree with, you know, people are reading my book from 2004. And I'm like, I don't even agree with my book. Like, you should read my 2004 book because it's so hopelessly out of date. And we had all kinds of stuff in there about teaching squatting and how to squat. And it was just almost crazy to realize how different we were. When if you'd asked me, I would have said, oh, there's not, you know, there's very little that's changed over that time. And yet we took that book and reworked it. And theoretically, it became a new book because they said if more than if it's more than 50 percent change, then it's a new book. And it was more than 50 percent change. So then it became instead of being functional training for sports, second edition, it became new training, new functional training for sports, which uh, effectively was treated as a different book. So. Yeah, and I think that's super important for a lot of coaches out there because I've been mentoring four at my gym, and the one thing I keep telling him is, like, always kind of review your year. And, like, an example is, like, look at your programming. Like, you should have some, like, moments where you're like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, I'm such an idiot. And then change it to make your clients move and feel better. And I always tell him, like, review what you've been doing and see what you can change for the better. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think there's any question. I think everybody should be doing that. And I always feel like that's that's our programming. That's Mike Boyle's strength and conditioning programming. It's constant. We're constantly reviewing, experimenting. Like, we're back to front squatting now, which is crazy. Mm. We did nothing but goblet squats for a really long time. And then what we realized, I have a middle school, actually now they're high school kids, but my son and his friends. And what ended up happening is they got too strong for goblet squats because – we had kids that weighed like 130 who were goblet squatting a 100-pound dumbbell, and it was really hard. Like we had to pick it up and give it to them and take it away from them. And the biggest struggle was getting the weight in position and getting them set up. And I said, you know, we may have to go back to front squat with these guys because it's just a lot easier to get them in a rack and get set up to front squat as they need more load than it would be to goblet squat. And if someone had said to me, even two years ago, you're going to go back to front squatting. I was like, I'm not going back to front squatting. You know, we're fine with goblet squat. And then suddenly we kind of hit a little bit of a wall with our, at that time, middle school kids, you know, going into ninth grade and realize, hey, we need to go back to front squat. The cool thing was that we front squatted unbelievable right off the gate because of, we goblet squatted so well. Yeah. So yeah. there was some benefit to that. But it, it's, um, I think you have to always be, looking at your programming with a critical eye and you've always got to be looking and thinking what's new what's out there in terms of you know whether like you said you took the frc course or whether it's you know looking at pri stuff whether there's always things in you don't necessarily you need to understand it and then decide whether it fits for you or not but what happens is people decide things to fit without understanding them they just said oh i don't believe in that I kind of look at them. Did you do it? Did you try it? Have you been to a course? Have you listened to the people? You know what I mean? Like, and then they're like, no. But I don't. But I don't. But I don't agree with them. Like, well, how can you not agree with something that you haven't really investigated? You need to investigate, and then hopefully come away with some thought process. Like, okay, here's uh, yeah, I understand this, 
and these are things that I think could be beneficial, could make my program better. The one thing I love, Fred, that when I started reading, the, or actually watching, I watched the um, PRI uh, Myokin videos. So, because I didn't go to the class, I just watched the online stuff. Mm -hmm. And Ron Ruska said something to the effect that we want you to use this to make your existing program that you're very familiar with better. And I thought, that's a really good way to sell anything. Yeah. We want you to use this to make your existing program that you're very familiar with better. And that's ultimately what we want to do all the time. Yeah. Whatever it is, whether it's, you know, it can be Sarman's work, it can be McGill's work, it can be FRC stuff, it can be PRI stuff. I don't care whose stuff you're using, but what you should be doing is figuring out, is there a way I can incorporate in what I'm doing? I am not throwing my system away in favor of a new system. I'm simply making adaptations in the system that I have. Yeah. Another question I had for you, this is more like a question that I was curious about, is at what point in your career were you like at that point where you realized, I guess I am pretty good at what I do? Because like I'm at a point in my career now where I'm like speaking in front of more people, I'm getting awards here in Canada, and everyone says that I'm really, really good, but in my mind, I'm like, honestly, I'm still learning. Like, I don't feel like, you know, I'm top dog in anything. So I'm kind of curious if in your career, like, did you have a point where you're like, okay, yeah, I am the guy, I am good at what I do, or are you constantly still feeling like there's so much more to learn? Well, I think there's always that, you know, they talk about imposter syndrome, and I think there's always, I still have the recurring dream that I get found out. And that people realize that it was like, I always say, it's like the Wizard of Oz, you know, when you might be too young for the Wizard of Oz, but when Toto pulls the curtain back, you know, and the wizard's back there with all the levers and he's saying, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think you, if you don't have a healthy bit of that, you probably aren't good at what you do. If you don't have a little bit of healthy skepticism about yourself, if you're not always looking, I'm always looking at other people, like I said, people, when I go to seminars, I sometimes watch the presenters more than the presentation because I want to look and think, okay, what is, you know, what's good? Like, why do people love Dan John? Why do people love Stuart McGill? Why do people love, you know, whoever it is that they see speak? You know, Spina is a really good example. There are people who are really good speakers, and I, sometimes I'm more interested in how they're doing it than what they're saying at this stage of my life. But to answer your question, I was probably about 40. I think it's right around the time when the people from human kinetics asked me to write functional training for sports, I would say that would have been like 2002, which would have been 18 years ago. I would have been about 42 years old. Hmm. And I thought, wow, and a publishing house reached out to me about writing a book. Like I'm not sending them book proposals. I'm not asking about writing a book. These guys are contacting me. And I remember I said that, talk about, you know, not thinking you've made it yet. This guy's name, I think his name was, I think it was Ed McNeely. Was his name. Ed, but it's definitely. And he's, uh, he said, we want you to write a book on functional training. And my first response was, how many other people are getting this proposal? He said, none. He said, you're the only one. I said, so I'm the only person you're talking to. You didn't, you're not pitching this idea to six people. It's not me and this person, this person, and kind of whoever jumps at it first is going to get to write functional training for sports. It's like, no, no, no. We want a book on functional training, and we think that you're 
the expert in functional training. And I remember thinking, I told him, I said, I'm not even sure I know what it is. And he said, well, we think it's whatever it is you're doing. And I was like, so I can write a book about whatever I want, and you're going to call it functional training for sports? And he was like, yeah, that's our intention. Our intention is that you're going to write a book. We're going to call it functional training for sports, but you don't. we're not going to tell you what's supposed to be in the book. You're going to tell us what's supposed to be in the book. So I think at about that time, I thought, yeah, maybe I am good at this. Maybe I'm not just sort of a, a local guy who's getting some attention. But I still never thought, if you thought, you know, that I'd be going to you know, China or Brazil, or I mean, we went to China and they were legitimately people at the airport. There were 100 people at the airport. That well, I literally felt like a rock star, like, okay, this is a rock concert. I'm getting off the plane, you know, and I'm coming out to pick up my luggage, and there's 100 Chinese personal trainers wow. who were like, well, you know, taking one of it was insane, you know, and you think, like, okay, I guess I've officially made it because. Now it's, um, you know, think ever, ever, ever dreamed would ever happen in my life are actually happening. Well, honestly, you deserve it because, like, you've influenced so many coaches in this industry. And honestly, like, I have to thank you for putting out such good content and going all around the world speaking, doing seminars. Like, damn, yeah, you deserve it. This is amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you. But, it, you know, the good thing is, though, I think it has been authentic and genuine. I've never done it for money. You know, people always say, like, it's never been a money situation. I've always I've been a big believer, and I've never read the book, but they always talk about do what you love and the money will come. And I really do believe that. I think if you do what you love to do and you work really hard at it, that the results will come and that everything will work out okay in the end. And I've... I've always approached everything that way. I've always approached it with the idea that I just want to do kind of a Jack Parker, who was our hockey coach at BU, was one of my really big influences. And he would always talk to our players about doing the next right thing. He'd say, just worry about what the next right thing to do is. And if you worry about, okay, what's the next right thing to do, then decisions become very, very easy. Because you can look at something and think, okay, wrong thing, right thing. And it's not, it's not hard. Most people, if I said to you, okay, you've got to tell me, is this a good idea, bad idea, right decision, wrong decision, you'd be able to 99% of the time be like, good idea, I should do it, ah, bad idea, probably shouldn't do it. But people sometimes get sucked into the bad idea because somebody throws some dollar signs behind it or, you know, people like said, want to, now it's, you know, you want to be an Instagram influencer, you know, I'm going to influence. Really? But that's life, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that would be a good place to end it today. But um, for the for the last question, um, if people wanted to find out more about you and what you do, and if you have any projects coming out, new books, or anything else you want to plug on my show, you can right now. <laughs> okay. I'm going to plug strengthcoach.com. Nice. So if someone's into it and says, hey, I, won't, I want to communicate with Mike Boyle every day, strengthcoach.com is the way to do that. Like, you know, I'm on Instagram. Instagram is um, it's Michael underscore Boyle 1959, and you know I post once a day, once every couple of days. I live. I'm on Twitter as M Boyle 1959, and I probably do tweet or retweet or whatever or something every day. But strengthcoach.com is where I where we're getting more in depth and we can really have conversations and share information. So if someone said I really want to know more, that's really the place to go. It is a membership site you have to pay, but 
I always say to people, if you said I could pay 15 bucks a month and get answers from some of the best people in the industry every day, it's it's a pretty reasonable, uh, basically 30 cents a day, so uh, or 50 cents a day. Sorry, uh, not a bad expense. And I'm rewriting. I wrote a book called Designing Strength Training Programs and Facilities after I wrote Functional Training for Sports that I self-published. It probably a couple thousand people read. I'm in the process of rewriting that now because it was. I really liked that book. I thought it was a good book, and I think enough people, not enough people, have read it. So I'm going to do that again with um, Lurie Draper, who did Advanced and Functional Training. She did an amazing job. She took Advanced and Functional Training from an idea to a book. Again, that's in ten languages. Oh. And it was really her editing and kind of weaving stuff together and making it a really good book. So I'm going to do this one again with her. I'm going to try to trying to chip away a little bit at that every day. And other than that, Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. If you're in the Woburn, Mass or Middleton, Mass area, which uh, who knows where your audience takes them, we're uh, we're, tra- we're actually training real people in a real facility in two different places, which is uh, probably a lot more than a lot of other people can say. <laughs> Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It was nice to meet you and good luck. Let me know when it's up and I'll uh, blast it out there to people. All right. So this is going to wrap up episode 298 with Mike Boyle. Like dream come true for me. I could not imagine that I would actually be able to chat with him. So thank you guys for listening thank you for the support freaking 2020 is going to be our year all you listening 2020 you're going to crush it just like i am you know it's baby steps one thing at a time like put in the work like i've been putting in the work since i started in the industry and every little month week day i've been trying to get a little bit better and boom here we go I also got to bring up this. My podcast was voted number one in the top 20 weight loss podcasts on the internet through a blog site. I also won Canada's top trainer award, and there's an award ceremony next month. And here I am now interviewing Mike Boyle. Like, it's surreal to me to see how much I've achieved, but the value, the the reason behind all this is because every single day I try to get a little bit better than I was the day before and that momentum starts building and building and building and you start doing amazing things so anyone listening that's struggling right now to get to their goal you can fucking do it like you can fucking do it you have no idea <sighs> alright I'm gonna end it there thank you so much for listening share this podcast with your friends and family hit the show notes add me on Facebook I post so much shit online I want to share it with all of you. Till next time, you guys.